Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about an artificial sun that's hotter than our actual sun. Then we'll answer a listener question about whether math is really a universal language. You'll also learn what words like fresh really tell you about how fancy your food is. Let's satisfy some curiosity. South Korea's K-Star has set a new world record. No, it's not for a bajillion Spotify plays or a zillion YouTube views. K-Star isn't even a K-pop band. It's a nuclear fusion reactor, and it recently ran at 100 million degrees Celsius for 20 seconds, which is hotter than the core of the sun. I mean, the sun's core only clocks in at about 15 million degrees Celsius. Pretty chilly in comparison, really. But anyway, here's how the team of scientists and engineers got this new hotness. K-STAR stands for Korea Superconducting Takamak Advanced Research. The key word here is Takamak. That's a machine that uses a magnetic field to hold plasma in the shape of a torus. That's the geometry word for donut. K-STAR and similar devices generate energy differently from regular nuclear power plants. Instead of splitting up nuclei of heavy atoms... Takamak-style reactors merge the nuclei of light atoms, and that fusion of atoms releases a lot more energy than the fission that nuclear power plants use. K-STAR does this by using magnets to run a powerful electrical current through hydrogen isotopes, which separates the atoms from their electrons and turns the whole thing into plasma. As those plasma particles collide and the temperature rises, the machine cranks the heat even more until the particles ram into each other so hard that they fuse. It's the same thing that happens in the sun. Now, clearly heat is an important ingredient here, and maintaining 100 million degrees for 20 seconds is both a monumental achievement and an incremental improvement. K-Star first hit 100 million degrees in 2018, and by the next year, it managed to sustain the searing temperature for eight seconds. Now it's more than doubled the time it can hold steady. The team hopes they'll be able to keep the heat up for 300 seconds by 2025. Now, K-Star won't be sending electricity to the grid anytime soon, but it's inching closer to making an energy breakthrough. If the dream of nuclear fusion-powered energy is realized on a large scale, it could be a game-changer of massive proportions. Fusion plants of the future might use seawater as fuel and produce very little waste. And for the record, this new breakthrough isn't published in a peer-reviewed journal yet. That won't happen until at least May. But we're still covering it because it's consistent with what the K-STAR team has achieved in the past. And those achievements have been peer-reviewed. And as for my major burning question, Ashley, why didn't the plasma incinerate the Earth? Well, it's a lot smaller than the sun, so it has that going for it. But it's also well-controlled. You know, that magnetic field keeps it in one place. It's also surrounded by a very strong insulator. So just because it's that hot doesn't mean that it's going to actually be like the sun is here on Earth. Mm. And how long would it take to cook a pizza at that temperature? Oh, probably. Because what? It, it lasted for 20 seconds, so... Yeah, probably probably half that time, I'd say. <laughs> half that time. <laughs> maybe maybe less than that. Maybe. Just just maybe. I'm not a chef, Cody. Come on. Mm, true. All right, we'll have to look into that. We got a listener question from John in Ohio who writes, 
I've always heard how math would be the common language that could be used if we ever were to encounter intelligent life in the universe. Does that imply their math would definitely be identical to ours, barring using different symbols? Great question. The idea that math is a universal language is super popular, both among mathematicians and science fiction authors. I mean, Contact, Independence Day, Arrival, The Three-Body Problem, I could go on. So it might surprise you to know that it's also super controversial, and it has been since the days of Plato and Aristotle. Here's why. By asking whether math is a universal language, we're technically asking whether math was discovered by humans or invented by humans. If we made it all up, then it won't be familiar to visiting extraterrestrials. Many mathematicians would say that math exists out there in the universe, and the progression of mathematics has been one of discovery. If I take down one bison and you take down one bison, we'll have two bison to eat. Boom, we discovered addition. If I cut one bison pelt down the middle, I'll have two halves. Division. Our measurements led us to discover geometry and trigonometry. Our descriptions of the way objects move led to calculus. People in this camp believe that because we discovered universal truths that already existed, extraterrestrials are likely to discover them too. In the other camp are those who believe math is purely a human invention, one that we use to make sense of the universe. Think of math in this case as a metaphor or a very accurate fairy tale. These types say that math is not inherent to those bison or that pelt or that neutron star. We've just figured out a very, very reliable tool for describing and predicting these things. Think about it this way. Mathematics is built on fundamental rules or axioms. Things like one plus one is two and the order of operations or, you know, that rule that you have to multiply and divide before you add and subtract. We only have that rule because if we didn't, the same equation could come out with different answers. But there's no rule of the universe that says one equation can't have two answers. Humans invented that rule to make their tool more useful. So to answer your question, we don't know whether math is a universal language we could use with other intelligent life in the universe. It's a complicated philosophical question, but it sure is fun to think about. Thanks for your question. If you have a question, send it in to curiosity at discovery.com or leave us a voicemail at 312-596-5208. Reading the nutrition label on your food will generally tell you what you're getting, but reading the description on the package, not so much. According to linguist Dan Jarafsky, what the language of food really tells you probably isn't what you'd expect. So here are some language tricks to keep an eye on the next time you're looking at a restaurant menu or making a grocery run. Let's start with words like fresh, ripe, and tasty. These are good things, right? Not so fast. Studies of the language of menus show that these words are hardly ever used to describe the food at finer restaurants. Instead, the cheaper the food, the more likely it is to be described with these adjectives. Drafsky calls them linguistic fillers. When you don't have anything specific and valuable to say, you use these words instead. Food that wants you to think of it as high quality tends to be associated with negative words. One study of chip bags found that phrases like nothing fake or never fried are more likely to be found on more expensive items. Health-related claims like this show up six times more often on expensive brands, even if they aren't necessarily healthier. 
Looking at the statistics on price, the researchers found that a bag of potato chips costs four cents more per ounce for every additional negative word on the bag. So what about sexy metaphors, like a brownie that's tantalizing or a steak that's seductively seared? Well, a study of millions of online reviews of restaurants found that these types of phrases were more frequently used in reviews of expensive restaurants. And the more sex mentions there were, the more expensive the restaurant. Hot. For cheap restaurants, the metaphor of choice was drugs, where food was described as like crack or a fix. Even when the review was positive, the cheaper, higher-calorie dishes were cast as addicting and somehow to blame for the indulgence. Is fancy, expensive food actually fresher, healthier, and more full of sensual pleasure? Well, not necessarily. But the language used to describe our food betrays underlying assumptions about our relationship to it, whether it's our love or our drug. Before we recap what we learned today, what are we talking about next week, Ashley? Well, next week, we're talking about what getting chills from music says about your brain, that time scholars tried to kick Latin out of English, how cats domesticated ourselves, how, how cats- Ourselves? <laughs> oh, I, I let something slip about myself. Freudian slip. All right. I think the pandemic is really starting to get to you. You are spending way too much time with your cat. I really have. <laughs> You'll also learn why lots of airports keep birds of prey on staff a new theory on how our planets formed, and more. Okay, so now let's recap what we learned today, starting with the fact that South Korean researchers created an artificial sun that's hotter than our actual sun. But no, the Earth is still here. It did not burn to a crisp. They used magnets to create a fusion reaction, which is more powerful than the fission that nuclear power plants use. It's another step toward fusion power, which would be a pretty amazing thing to have. So I don't know a lot about fusion power, but the only reason I had ever even heard of it was because of SimCity Sim 2000. SimCity, yes. SimCity 2000, too. right? All right. So video games don't always melt your brain because <laughs> in SimCity 2000, which was, you know, made before the year 2000, you know, it's like looking to the future, right? The most powerful power plant you could build was a fusion power plant. So I was like, what's that? And so I learned about it. So there you go. Right. And you could set the time that you wanted to start your city. And 2050 was when fusion power was available. So that's right. You know, the clock's ticking. Very true. <laughs> anyway, shout out to all my simmers out there. It's, it's not a reticulating splines. You know, we talked about SimCity 2000 a couple weeks ago and you said reticulating splines. And I was like, what is that? So it's like a quote from the game, right? Yeah, it's it, they do it when it's loading. And then you'll see that quote in other loading screens in more modern things because it's like hearkening back to that. Amazing. Yeah. We also learned that it's not objectively true that math is a universal language because one could argue that it's not. Our math is the most consistent and logical to us. But what if extraterrestrials had different needs or foundations for their knowledge? Have fun having that debate with your friends this weekend. Just don't let it divide you. Uh, ha, ha. Yeah, I tweeted about this listener question. It's one of those really good ones that starts out with like, oh, yeah, no, that's an easy one. I'll just I'll just whip up a quick answer. I'll just watch a couple of YouTube videos just to just to refresh myself. And then, you know, 
hours later, I'm like, what does it all mean? I have no idea. And like, I just got into this philosophical rabbit hole and it was very fun to answer. So thank you for asking that question. Wow. I didn't realize that question would lead you to go on such a tangent. Oh, a tangent that is a purely human invention. Or is it? Well, we also learned that words can be deceiving when it comes to how they describe your food. High-end restaurants rarely use words like fresh, ripe, and tasty. Those are more like filler words that don't really mean anything. Reviews at cheaper restaurants might compare their food to drugs, while reviews of fancier ones lean into sex metaphors. Language is weird, and I learned this very well at my last job, which was a long time ago now. I've worked here for a long time. But I used to work for an online coupon company that you have definitely heard of. And we had to write business descriptions. But the way that they trained us was that you couldn't use filler words. Like if the restaurant described their food as fresh, you weren't going to describe their food as fresh. You needed to find a reason it was fresh. So like, oh, do they have produce delivered from the farm every morning? We'll say that. That means it's fresh. So I have all of these just like red flag words that I see now in menus and restaurant websites, things like family owned. Cody, everyone has a family. Everyone. Oh, wow. <laughs> you just blew my mind. <laughs> and things like hand dipped. I'd, I'd much rather have a robot back in the kitchen dipping my French toast. I don't know about <laughs> you. <laughs> Just I could go on. There are so many of these things that mean nothing. Wait, but doesn't family owned mean that like the, the business is like it's supposed to mean that the business is owned by the mom and the daughter works there or whatever. But like it doesn't have to. And things like, you know, fresh picked like that doesn't say when it was picked. <laughs> sure. It was it when when it was picked, it was fresh. I believe you. <laughs> wow. Can't wait till the next time we go to a restaurant together. <laughs> I mean, I literally can't wait for that because that will mean that the pandemic is over. True. Today's stories were written by Grant Curran, Ashley Hamer, and Erica Okrant, and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Script writing was by Cody Goff and Sonia Hodgen. Today's episode is produced and edited by Cody Goff. Have a great, fresh weekend, and join us again Monday to learn something seductively tasty in just a few never-fried minutes. <laughs> and until then, stay curious. <laughs>